welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. On behalf of United Women in Faith Sunday, I have prepared a message that will hopefully provide us an opportunity to see ourselves and others more deeply, fully, and clearly. I will be speaking about a familiar passage for many of you from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Then I will briefly offer a glimpse of how United Women in Faith works to connect and nurture women so that we can inspire, influence, and impact local and global communities. Pastor Joe preached on this scripture in March. He focused on the living water that quenches our thirst so that we thirst no more. I'm sure you remember this sermon verbatim. I know I do. (laughs) When Janet reads for us this morning, I'd like for you to pay your attention to the woman. Try to see her in your mind because she and all that she represents matters. John 4, 1 through 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.' His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, 
For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? So they left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to, to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that it, this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of God in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Oops. Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Do you see her? Her story matters. She is a human connecting with the divine. And in this story, she 
becomes a disciple. She shares her witness, and the people come to see. We are not given her name, which may make you think she must not be that important, but you would be sadly mistaken. In John chapter 3, just one chapter prior to this one, we are given the name of Nicodemus, a Pharisee leader of the Jews who also encountered the divine. In contrast to the woman of Samaria, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark. She meets him in the light. Nicodemus struggles to understand, but the woman of Samaria has a revelation and grows in faith. There is no hiding, no shame. Do you think you can see her? She matters. Her story matters. Let us embark on a journey together. Let us try to imagine her life. Life for women under the control of the Roman Empire during this time depended highly on a class citizen or a class system. There were Roman citizens, non-citizens living under Roman occupation, and the enslaved. But all women, even the Romans, were considered to be inferior beings, mentally and physically. Women were viewed as irrational and superstitious. The Roman Empire held all the power, led by a male emperor and a senate of wealthy Roman males. There were no female leaders, other than a few unusual cases like Jewish synagogues where some women held teaching and administrative positions. The Roman Empire was a world that barred women from having power. And household structure mirrored the structure of the empire. Men were the head of household, and they ordered their wives how they may run the household. Roman citizens of the upper class had more wealth, owned land, and were slave owners. Citizen women were owned by their fathers or husbands or other male relatives. Their primary responsibility was to marry a citizen man and produce an heir. Marriage contracts were made by their fathers for the purpose of economic venture and family alliances. Citizen women could not consort with any man other than her husband without risking severe punishment, even death. The husband could not consort with other wives, but was free to consort with non-citizen women, free or slave. This was considered legitimate. Adultery was a term that was used for behavior that threatened the pure line blood succession of the property. Enslaved women were legally classified as property that citizens owned and transmitted through inheritance. Slave labor and reproduction served to maintain and expand the property base of the wealthy citizens, which allowed for the, pur for the purchase of more human property that began the cycle over again. The enslaved became slaves by being born to an enslaved mother, by capture in war, through kidnapping, or being taken as infants. Because property rights and social conventions favored males, many citizen households 
chose not to keep their female babies, so they would place them outside for anyone to take. Some infants died, but many ended up as either slaves or prostitutes. To be clear, in the Bible, slavery had nothing to do with race. Race is a social construct not invented until the mid-17th century as a means for justifying enslavement of Africans in colonial America. The woman of Samaria was likely a non-citizen of Rome, but was living under Roman occupation and following much of Roman culture. She's living in a small village, like the majority of people lived, working her trade of labor from sunup to sundown. She probably went to the well multiple times a day. We do not know if she fulfilled her sole purpose of producing an heir. All we know is that she's been married five times, and the man she lives with now is not her husband. You may have read or heard this story before with a judgment of this woman, holding on to the belief that she had some sort of say in marrying five men, and that her moral character was in question. When it's more likely, these marriages were arranged for her by the men in her life. The custom of levirate marriage, common of the time, was when a husband dies, his widow marries his brother. This could be her story. And if she was unable to produce an heir, it's likely she was denied marriage by the man she was living with at the time of her encounter with Jesus. Death and disease was highly common in childbirth as well. So for her to survive five husbands would not be likely if she were bearing children for each of them. And if she came to the well, not one of her children, like most mothers would send, that says something. This encounter with Jesus was scandalous for many reasons. The woman knows a Jewish man should not talk to her, a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies. Samaritans built and worshiped a shrine at Mount Gerizim that competed with the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus' disciples were amazed because they saw they because Jewish rabbis do not speak with women in public. Jesus doesn't care about any of this. He's breaking through the boundaries of male and female and Jew and Samaritan, or you could say the chosen and the rejected. Jesus's ministry will not be bound by social conventions because he sees people. He sees her. In the Gospel of John, Jesus sees and knows all things, and he reveals this to a woman in Samaria. I imagine, <clears throat> I imagine that She's never been seen the way Jesus sees her, as a person, with a soul, a beating heart, feelings, intelligence, interests. Maybe even Jesus makes her feel important. She's only been seen as a vessel used for the purpose of producing and providing. So she asks him, 
Where is the proper place to worship God? She wants more of this. And she goes into the city to share her story. God made her, or Jesus made her feel important enough that she had the courage to go into the city and share the good news. And the people listen and some believe her and they wanna see for themselves. I wonder if she were a slave, would the townspeople have listened? Probably not. So she tells her story, making herself a disciple, like John the Baptist, Andrew, and Philip. She tells the people, told me everything I've ever done. Jesus sees her. This is not a shameful woman whose sins Jesus was there to forgive. There is no mention of forgiveness. This is a woman who lives in a world where she's property, and Jesus sees her and offers her the gospel, the good news, the water of life. I want to read a short excerpt from a book I read when I served as a chaplain at Norton Hospitals last year. In the aftermath of the massacres that, that occurred in Rwanda in the early 1990s, a woman psychologist was asked to visit one of the many refugee camps of Rwandans in Tanzania. It seemed that the women of the camp, those safe from slaughter, were not sleeping. During her visit to the refugees, the psychologist learned that the women who had witnessed the murder of family and friends had been told by camp officials not to speak of such atrocities in the camp. The women followed this instruction, but the memories of the carnage haunted them and they could not sleep. The psychologist decided that in response to this situation, she would set up a story tree, a safe place for the women to speak of their experiences. Every morning, she went out to the edge of the camp and waited under the canopy of a huge shade tree. The first day, no one came. On the second day, one woman appeared, told her story, and left. Another showed up the following day, then another and another. Within the span of a few days, scores of women were gathering under the tree each morning to listen and to share their tales of loss, fear, and death. Finally, after weeks of listening, the psychologist knew that the story tree was working. Reports confirmed that the women in the camp were now sleeping. All women deserve to be seen as fully human, no longer objects, no longer machines of production, and our stories must be told so we can sleep at night. And our stories of faith make us disciples. <clears throat> this is the work of United Women in Faith. And this is the work of SOAR, Survivors of, Rebu of Abuse Restored, right across the street from our church. SOAR is a safe space, like the story tree.
SOAR is a safe space like the Story Tree for women who've been sexually abused as children working to find hope and healing. I thank God for the progress that's been made in the 2,000 years since the time of John's gospel. But there is still so much more growth that can happen in our abilities to see one another. The excerpt I just read and the fact that we need places like SOAR is proof of that. In a world where it's become so easy to only pay attention to the tip of the iceberg at the surface and ignore all that is below the water, we are missing out on living lives fully and abundantly. I'm talking to you, social media. We are missing out on hearing each other's stories and truths. Missing out on really seeing each other without judgment that we know better. And through, this trans, or, and through this missing out, we are missing opportunities for growth and transformation. Maybe we aren't the only disciples out there. Maybe there are other disciples whose stories we need to hear. Disciples we need to see. See her. See the woman of Samaria, who was married five times, living with a sixth. Throughout history, women have been told to be like Mother Mary, a virgin who gave birth. What an impossible expectation. And by the way, can you make it a son you give birth to if you're living in the time of the Roman Empire? We've read our Holy Bible as first and foremost, if not only, a book of rules and expectations to place upon one another when actually it's a collection jam-packed full of stories, poems, hymns, laments, letters, and traditions of humanity within contexts of oppression, trying to figure out who their maker is and what their lives mean. We can learn so much more from this understanding than sticking to a surface-level reading of the law. Let's lose these often impossible expectations we put on one another and start seeing each other with love. The way Jesus, the Christ, the Word, who was with God in the beginning and who was God, saw the woman of Samaria. Let's not be Nicodemus in the dark, unable to grasp what Jesus is doing. Let's step into the light Let's see her. Let's listen to her stories, whoever she may be, so that she can get some sleep tonight. The United Women in Faith shall be a community of women whose purpose is to know God and to experience freedom as whole persons through Jesus Christ to develop a creative, supportive fellowship, and to expand concepts of mission through participation in the global ministries of the church. This is the United Women in Faith purpose statement. And we gather monthly and recite this purpose. 
and all we do has this purpose behind it. We celebrate United Women in Faith today and the work of this sisterhood to improve the lives of women, children, and youth. A sisterhood that provides a diverse and inclusive community of champions and change makers. A sisterhood of disciples who walk in the light, sharing their stories, truly seeing one another. For we believe love and action can change the world. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.